Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. going to read the entire portion of God's word here, but it is especially verse 17. That will be our text. It's the theme, rooted and grounded in love for the cadets this year. Now chapter 3 begins with Paul wanting to pray. What you may need to know or may help to know is that Paul didn't always hand write his letters because his hands were so broken, Uh, but he dictated them, so he would speak them. And when you speak a a word, it's uh, sometimes you you remember you wanted to say something else, and that's what happens here. Paul starts, he wants to say, I'm going to pray for you, and this is what I pray for you, but then he has to stop and he remembers something he wants to say, and so the scribe dutifully writes it all down, and then at verse 14, he picks up again the prayer. So at verse three, three, verse, chapter 3, verse 1, hear the word of God. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the, into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm very, the very least of all the saints, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And then he comes back to his prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Again, our text, it's from verse 17 being rooted and grounded in love. May the Lord now bless that word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our Lord, I think if we took the words rooted and grounded in love, put them on a t-shirt, coffee mug, uh, 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 something to hang on the wall, Um, 
we would understand what those words meant, but I wonder how many other people would understand. Guests that would come into our house, co-workers, family, maybe unbelieving family, if they saw rooted and grounded in love, what would they think? I think the word love would be the challenging word in that statement, in that banner on our wall or on that t-shirt, that graphic. Love uh, is not a word that I think we share with the world in the way that the world thinks we share it with them. We use the word love, they use the word love, and the world thinks we mean the same thing that they mean. And maybe even sometimes we think we mean the same thing they mean, but we don't. The love of the world, uh, love is love, you've heard that said. You can't help whom you love. I fell into love, out of love. The love of the world is of a very specific sort. It is, it is rooted in self. It grows up out of self. And it ultimately protects and defends self. But the love of the Bible is exactly the opposite. It's rooted in God, not in us. And it is very costly. It does exactly what it's required to do. It fulfills its promises no matter what. It's a very different kind of love. And so when we say rooted and grounded in love, I think the world would say, well, it's about time you people in the church got that figured out. You need to let love reign. You need to let love be. People can't help whom they love. Love is love. But what we want, what we expect, what the Word of God teaches, what these young men and cadets have been learning and will be learning throughout this year about what it means to love, well, it's a much more excellent love. It's a much more profound love than what is found within our world. And to understand how that is, we just need to listen to the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's prayer on behalf of the Ephesian church. A prayer for the spiritual blessing of the church. He begins in verse 14, praying to the Father, from whom all families of the nations are named. The Father who is abundantly able to bless from the riches of His glory. He's an overflowing fountain of good is our God. He is a great God. He's not cruel. He's not angry. He is abundantly blessing those that look to him. And the blessing that the Apostle Paul seeks for us, for the Ephesian church, for all men, certainly the blessing we seek for these young men before us this morning, is the ever-increasing presence of Christ in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, Of course, only the Holy Spirit can do this. None of us can. Not a cadet program, not a church program. No one, no parent is able to accomplish what Paul wants his people to experience in this passage. Only the Holy Spirit can indwell Christ within our lives so that more and more we become Christ-like That's really what Paul's praying for here. He wants us to grow, to mature, to develop in the faith. He's not asking that we come to faith. He knows that the Ephesian church believe. He knows that they are Christians. But he says, even so, I want you to grow. I want you to develop. I want you to understand more fully. 
and strengthened in this way, the thing that Paul wants his people to understand more fully, the thing that he wants us to understand today, the thing that he wants these cadets to learn throughout this season of cadetting, is just how massive God's love is. The height, the length, the depth, the breadth, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ. The love of this world, besides being transitory, it's temporary, it tends to die away, is also emotional, principally emotional. Our love is emotional too, we should note that. But it's not principally emotional, that's not the first thing. In our world, you feel love. And because you feel it, when you stop feeling it, it no longer exists. Indeed, Love in our world tends to morph into hate. And that's understandable because when love is rooted in selfishness, selfishness is a poison pill that burrows deep into love and eventually destroys it. Love that is selfish, and that's all of our love, too easily, too quickly, let's acknowledge it, when we when we started dating the one that we married, you say, why did you start dating that one? Well, he, he was attractive to me. She looked beautiful. And what is it that you love about her? Oh, what she does for me. How she helps me. How he makes me happy. How he... Do you not hear all of the selfishness in that? I love this person because they benefit me. Which means if they stop benefiting me, I'm going to stop loving them. And that happens too. It happens in the church, doesn't it? We can speak too in our midst of broken relationships, broken marriages, broken parent-child, friend, family. A selfishness that has turned into hate, has turned into anger. But that's not the love of God. The love of the Lord is eternal. Because it is first and foremost not his emotion, but his commitment. The Lord chooses to love. That may seem strange to us. That doesn't sound like kind of, that doesn't sound like love. The love that we sing about in our pop songs on the radio, that we read about, that we watch in movies, that's not the kind of love we're familiar with. But you've got to read the Bible. Read the Bible again and again and again, and you meet a God who has the most wicked people the most shameful people, who has a people that he describes as a bride who is utterly unfaithful, sleeps around with anybody and everybody, pays people to sleep with her, and yet says, I choose to love you. Says to Hosea, marry a wife of harlotry, as a picture of how he loves us. And indeed, that love is so committed, so devoted to the blessing of us, unworthy, terrible people that we are by nature, that God sent his own son to die on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
This is love, says John in 1 John 4, verse 10. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for all our sins. The cross of Calvary, that's it. When we come to the cross of Calvary, we meet a very different love. We meet a love that looks at us as enemies and knows that we are wicked and knows our mistakes, our dishonesty, our cruelty, our selfishness, our greed, our lust. It sees the truth of who we all are and it says, I love you anyway. I choose to love you. I put my love upon you. And I embrace you with a love so wide, so long, so high, so deep, you'll never find its limits. It's like being dropped into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and being told, now find the shore. You can swim for days. So wide, so long, so deep is God's love. That's, that's the encouraging word to us in this passage, isn't it? And that's what Paul wants us to know. That's what Paul wants these young men to know. How secure they are. How deeply loved they are. How far God was committed to blessing them. How far he's committed to blessing us. And this is what Paul would have us understand today. That in Jesus Christ, we are rooted and grounded in love. That language is some of Paul's favorite. Paul loves describing the church, describing the redeemed people of God with an organic analogy and an architectural one. If you read, for example, from chapter 2, verse 20, just before this text, he describes the church as being built on the foundation founded, rooted and founded, foundation, yeah, Uh, on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Grows, that's an organic, that's a life biological analogy. He does the same thing, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 and Colossians 2 verse 7. A lot of times he describes the church as a plant and as a building, And the words in their original context imply, or can imply, that this being rooted, this being grounded in love is not something we do, but is something that's done to us. If you've ever had to transplant a a plant, maybe you start growing soon enough some plants to be put into the garden and you have to transplant them, then you get them and you root them in the garden. The plant doesn't do it, you do it. You root them. You build things. You establish things. We are rooted. We don't root ourselves. We are founded. We don't found ourselves. God does. Paul is telling us something here about the working of God's grace in Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, I want you to know just how much God's done for you. How much love God has poured into your life. And that's something that we should all understand and recognize in all of our sorrows and griefs and trials of life. That's something we all want to to embrace and be embraced by. We know how important love is. Stability, security, those are words that should go with love in our world. We know how important love is. Leadership, We don't always think of 
those words when we associate them with love, do we? We don't always think of leadership and security and stability. We should, though, because we're Christians, we read our Bibles and we remember, even as we've studied in 1 Samuel, that there's only one time that a woman in the Bible is said to love her husband. But man, there's a lot of times in the Bible where it says, a man loved. You know, for the Bible, love is a male quality. For our world, it's more female, it's more emotive, it's, it's more feminine. For the Bible, it's more masculine. It's masculine because it's tough, because it's demanding, because it's sacrificial, because it's surrendering, because it's leadership, security, stability. That's what our homes need. That's what our children need. That's what our programs, ministry programs need. That's what our lives need. Stability, security, leadership. That's what God gives to us when he loves us in Jesus Christ. And so we need to know as believers with all of our mistakes and failures, with all of our errors, with all of our foolishness, we're all foolish. We lie when we shouldn't. We cheat, we steal, we, we're so foolish in so many ways. And then we, we begin to either feel like we have to defend ourselves, we have to prove that we're worthy, we have to show everybody. It's something that we experience especially in school, maybe especially in high school, that great Darwinian experiment of survival of the fittest. We have to prove our attractiveness. We have to prove our ability. We have to prove our worth. We're constantly trying to prove ourselves. Instead of rejoicing to know that we are unworthy, but man, the Lord loves me. So that when people come against us and say, but you've made a mistake, we say, no, I didn't. And we get defensive. Instead of saying, you're probably right. That's how messed up I am. Let me tell you about my Savior and what he's done for me. We tend to want to be the ones who provide security, stability, and leadership, who are loving. But we need to remember that we are first loved. That we are first loved by God in Jesus Christ, perfectly and powerfully. And that we have a security in him that allows us to exist, that allows us to rest and rejoice. And this needs to be there for our prayer as well. These words need to be regularly in our daily prayer life for these young men, these cadets. We want them to understand how much they are loved, even as the world offers them temptations, as the world offers them the trinkets, the baubles of this fallen world, the immorality, the wickedness. Come, they say, it's Vanity Fair. Come, taste our wares. Come. We want them to know the love of God so that it is so precious to them, it is so wonderful to them, they wouldn't trade the world for it. We want them to drink deeply of the love of God and see how amazing His grace is and be overwhelmed and overawed by His love that they might never leave it. And not only for these young men, but even for ourselves. We want to be passionate about the Lord. We want to, as a church, always grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to always grow in the enormity of God's love for us. We do tend to be a little too critical, a little too judgmental, a little too self-righteous. The love of God dispenses with that. The more we know the love of God, the more we know how much we are fallen and how wonderful He is and how 
little we should be judgmental and how much we should be gracious. When we fail to know or grasp the enormity of God's love for us, all manner of trouble follows. Fear in the midst of trials besets us. We start to wonder, why is God doing this to me? Why do I have to suffer this way? We become too enamored with the empty promises of this world and we start chasing rainbows, hoping that we can find pot of golds at the end of it. Guilt and shame become our defensive mechanism. Frustration and loneliness become our reality. Oh no, we want to know that we are ensconced in the great love of God in Jesus Christ, secure and stable, safe in the arms of our Savior. That's what Paul's praying for here. That's what we should pray for each other as well and for ourselves and for these cadets. That they might know that they are rooted and grounded in love. But that's not enough. That's not enough. You see, even here we can become selfish. We can be grateful for the love of God towards us in Jesus Christ, but we can become hesitant to love others. Now, this is a general truth about us all that we need to acknowledge. We easily see other people's specks in their eyes rather than the logs in our own. You know the words of Matthew 7 there, the verses 3 through 5. As a rule, as a rule, as parents maybe, as friends, as spouses, we tend to demand more of others than of ourselves. Those of us that are at work in customer service will know something of this. People are very demanding, very exacting, very requiring of everything we do. Our first responders, our police officers, you'd better do it perfectly. You'd better never make a mistake. But I can make all sorts of mistakes. I can say all sorts of cruel things. I can be all sorts of rude to you. We're very good at demanding of others. Because there is in our human nature a selfishness that is just baked in it's just who we are now unfortunately even as church or as christians this kind of mentality finds an unfortunate expression even within the church sadly even within the church we can be gossipy did you hear do you know about we can be critical i can't believe that they i did you know what she, he did? We could be so judgy in, in the struggles and sins of other people. So that as a result, unfortunately, when people in our own family, in our own fellowship, find themselves struggling with sin, you know, I'm never going to open up to anybody at church. I don't want anybody at church to know. Because they're confident they won't be supported here. Now, understand that some of that hesitancy to share is not really the fault of the congregation. Because there are some very lovely people in the congregation. There's a lovely spirit also in the congregation of support and encouragement. I, I think that if we're struggling with something and we opened up to a brother or sister in the, in the church, we would find a lot more support than discouragement. And sometimes the reason we don't open up is, is not because people are judgy, but because we're guilty. We, we're ashamed. We're, we're, we're afraid. But it is also possible, because we do gossip, we do criticize, we do judge, 
that as a church we give people the impression that if you falter, if you fall into sin, and we've all fallen into sin, but if you fall into sin, I'm going to, I'm going to tweet about it, I'm going to Instagram it, I'm going to, on and on we go. And not just within the church, even within the world in which we live, when it comes to our world, we can find ourselves avoiding the messy, avoiding the damaged, avoiding the difficult relationships with our neighbors, coworkers, friends who are living in darkness because we just sense there's way too much work there, there's way too much struggle there. I don't think so. Or we show them some love, but only as long as they seem willing to come to church, as soon as they say, well, you know what, this isn't really for me, we stop loving them. We sit, unfortunately, too comfortably as congregation at times and as individual believers with our own being saved. We're grateful for that, but we tend to be a little too proprietary about it. We, we go, it's mine, my salvation, not yours. I'm forgiven, <laughs> you're judged. The Lord's working on me. I'm not so sure he's working on you. This is the way that we tend to approach things in this life. And when Paul then says that we are to be rooted and grounded in love, he's on the one side saying you need to realize just how deeply God loves you in Jesus Christ. That's maybe the first level or layer of meaning in this text. You are rooted and grounded in the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that amazing? But the words also have the implication of you are rooted and grounded in order to love, in order to give love, loving others. You might say it's rooted and grounded in loving. And, and that's also consistent with what follows in Paul's letter here in the church to the Ephesians, or church of the Ephesians, even in the context of the very next verses in verse 19, for example, he speaks, or in verse 18, rather, he speaks about having strength to comprehend with all the saints. He's reminding us that we're part of a church community. And then in chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. So he immediately speaks about how we should love each other. He says, you've been loved, but you also must love. Now again, not love as an emotion. Which isn't to say that there shouldn't be any emotion in it. There should be. Of course there should be. But not principally, not first and foremost. This is not a, a word that calls us to feel happy about others feel good about them. You know, sometimes if you see that girl or that boy that you like and you get butterflies in your stomach, that's not the kind of love Paul's talking about here. Paul says, I want you to choose. I want you to commit. I want you to decide to love, to bless, to lead, to secure, to comfort, to guide. And it challenges us then to ask of ourselves a very simple question, how committed am I to blessing those that the Lord brings across my path? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And that story begins with the man asking, who must I love? He wants to know, do I have to love these people, but not those people? 
And then Jesus, you remember, tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We know how that story goes. And at the end of it, he asks, who was a neighbor to this man? He turns the question around and then says to the individual, who are you loving? And the man says, of course, the Samaritan. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Be a person who loves the hurting, the struggling, the sorrowing that come across your path. Think about our families. We have to love those in our families. To love them because we've chosen to, because we've decided to, because we've committed to. We have to say and we have to learn in the context of our homes what it means to love sacrificially. Here's where dad and mom need to set for us a high standard. They need to show us that to love is costly and good and we rejoice in it. And we're eager to do it even though it costs us a great deal. We don't want to sit at the coffee table or the dinner table griping and complaining about how we have to go visit this one or how we have to do that. Our children should hear from us that we rejoice in the opportunities to show love to be a blessing. That as we give in our gifts and offerings to the church and to the various ministries, we're not doing it begrudgingly. We're doing it joyfully. But also those that we worship, those that we attend worship with, those that we go to cadets with, those that we are in a cadre with. We have to love them. It's not easy to do. Not everybody's easy to love. And if it's about my feeling then I can be angry. And then I can be rude. I can say mean things about someone. I can use bad language about someone. Sometimes that even happens in the church here. You hear young men speaking in the hallways, using language unbecoming of a church about their own brother in the Lord, their own friend, calling him this name or that name. They think that's not becoming of a Christian. That's not choosing to... Yeah, but you don't know how mean he is. You don't know how rude he is. Yeah, but I know that you have been loved. And if you've been loved, you must commit to loving. Commit to being gracious. Commit to being kind. There's an important conversation to be had about how we can love in tough times. It's not an easy thing to understand how we should love our straying children, our broken friends, our addicted neighbors. We don't want to enable people with love. We don't want to just say, well, give them whatever they want because that's loving. There's a lovely book uh, in the Deacon's Resource section entitled, When Helping Hurts. And there's a truth there. And we certainly don't want to love people in order to make ourselves feel better. At least I was nice. Doing good is its own reward, this sort of thing. And sometimes loving somebody means saying a very tough thing. Our old GP once walked into a store, hardware store, looked at one of the men working there and said, you need to see a doctor. You have a very serious illness and you'd better, you'd better get it checked out. That brother died of that illness. That's a tough thing to say to somebody. I can see, I'm a doctor, I can see that you are very ill. I can see that your life is now going to get very difficult. I can see treatments in your forecast. I can see pain. I can see suffering. I can even see death. Would have been easy for that doctor who had no place here. Could have walked, carried on, never said a thing. 
Sometimes it's hard to say things that are loving. So we can have a conversation about how to love in tough times. But we need to see at least a couple of things. That it is a necessary quality of the Christian life. That we're all on the spectrum of loving. None of us may be spiteful. None of us may be angry. None of us may be harsh. All of us must be loving. Because we're Christians. Because we're loved. Because God has rooted and grounded us in love. And you know what happens with plants? The soil they grow up in produces the fruit that they bear. We know that in this part of the world. The foundation, you think of our builders who know that the foundation secures the building that rises above it. What are we built upon? We're built upon love. What secures us? It's love. What do we draw from? It's love. How do we expect Christians to live? By love. What kind of love? A love that is committed. A love that is devoted. A love that says, I'm willing to bless you. And that may mean sometimes having to say some tough things. But that usually means saying some kind things. How can I help you? What can I do for you? How can I bless you? Not to everybody. Jesus says, who's coming across your path? Who's the Lord bringing into your life? Those people need your love. And the wonderful thing about this is that this becomes for us as a congregation a profound opportunity to be that city upon a hill, to be that light upon a stand. We live in a culture and in a society that is anything but this. The empty ideologies and philosophies of our world tend towards greater anger and division. There is no end of the evidence of that today. That our society is breaking down into tribal groups, into us versus them, into fringe minorities, to bore our prime minister's language. And there's good reason for why that is. The way the world is perceived today, the way that the world is described today, is more reflective of our human nature, our fallen human nature, than of God and His Word. And so outside of these walls, if I can put it that way, outside of these walls, there's a lot of frustration, a lot of anxiety, a lot of grief, a lot of division, a lot of brokenness. But we're redeemed. That doesn't mean we're better. We struggle too. That's not the point. But we are at least this, freed from this cruel and endless brokenness in Jesus. And the world needs to see that. The world needs to know that. They need to know that within our own congregation. They need to see within our own congregation a supportive, encouraging, loving environment. They need to see that within our own cadre. They need to see that we're a place that supports and encourages each other. They need to see that within the context of our own community. I had an opportunity not that long ago to speak with a social worker who was asking about some of the ministry opportunities that our church provides its members, and I started listing all of the things that we make available or do, including cadets and kingdom seekers and other things like that. And she said, that, you, your church does all of that? So yeah, you provide meals to moms that need it. You provide counseling to those that are struggling. You, you provide helping hands when people are in, in, in need of physical help. I said, yeah. She said, oh, I wish the world was like that. 
And there's the point, isn't it? We can say to the world, see what Jesus does. See what Christ does. See how he changes us from selfish to selfless, from hateful to loving, from mean to kind. We are rooted and grounded in love. The ministry of the cadets this year is a ministry that calls these young men to express this, to learn how to do this, to walk this in their relationship with each other. We need to learn that as a congregation as well. That needs to be our goal. And that needs to be our personal desire as well. We need to grow. We want to grow in this sense of God's enormous love for us. We need to pray with Paul this prayer. That we would grow in the inner man by the Spirit's presence and power so that being rooted and grounded in love, we may come to understand just how enormous God's love is for us. And understanding that may love each other with just as much commitment. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer, asking for help in doing that. Shall we pray?